0: Hey, Nicole. Hi, John. Ready? Let's do it. Alright.
1: I'm Nicole Mears.
0: I'm John Davis.
1: And this is our podcast, Shape the Conversation.
0: Nicole and I work together here with a great team at Shape.io, headquartered in Bend, Oregon.
1: Some background about us. We left our agency jobs as marketers to build software for digital advertising teams. We'll be talking about working in marketing and growing Shape.io on this podcast.
0: Yeah. Why should you listen to us at all? Well, Shape, we have been able to turn into a profitable software company. There's seven of us now that work here at Shape. So the team's been growing. We've seen it kind of from the bootstrap side and from the venture capital side. We raised funding in 2015 and we've used that money to kind of grow the team and customers since. And like I said, we're headquartered in Bend, Oregon, so that's a little bit unique for a software company outside of the Silicon Valley bubble. And on this podcast, we just like to try to give you something to think about through your week as you go about your own conversations and building your own projects and teams. So, Nicole, what are we talking about this week?
1: So on this week's episode, you often hear from a lot of business articles and a lot of business leaders that you, when starting a business, should have a very focused niche. We're going to be talking about, you know, kind of what are the signs when you can grow either successfully out of your niche or you know conversely let's say your business is having problems when do you decide to venture out of your niche
0: yeah i like this one because it's a little counter to like you said a lot of the advice uh, advice out there you know, find your niche riches and niches so, yeah and i think that can be the case but it's interesting that like you said explore when can you maybe jump outside that niche are there some parameters or good examples of companies in the past that have said all right we're gonna you know, leave behind what we know really well, or we're going to do what we really know know really well, and also do this other thing. And as I thought about this topic and went along, I think important thing to remember is that there are consequences for going outside your, your niche, some of them good, some of them bad, but like anything, there's always a push and a pull
1: absolutely so we'll be talking you know six seven ideas about why we think you should move outside of your niche as well as examples and and we're a great example of that too so we'll kind of talk about our experience a little bit
0: yeah we've definitely struggled with this how from a product development end we build a software product for digital marketers there's lots of things that go into being a digital marketer today how do you decide what problems to take on how do you decide what problems not to take on do you stay just in the market of selling to digital marketers should you try to venture out to offer some kind of product to people who that aren't as technically savvy with marketing, more of a broader product to anybody that wants to do uh, marketing for their own business? So I think we like every business and even you know you personally looking at your career as your own little mini business you'll struggle too thinking about do i stay in my niche do i just kind of keep doing what i'm really good at it and maximize that or should even with my career maybe branch outside my niche to uh, you know explore some of the upside or even just challenge myself so i think the best reason to probably leave your niche is the first one we have here the first idea we have
1: yeah, so the idea is, is limited growth, you know, basically your business has reached a point where maybe it's successful, maybe, you know, you're, you haven't quite reached where your goals are, but you really don't have the opportunity to expand with your current market or your current audience. One of the great examples that we kind of think of with this is is really Starbucks. So. For those of you that don't know the history of Starbucks, before being handed basically to Howard Schultz to make it into what it is today, they sold coffee beans and they sold espresso machines, and that was kind of their niche, and it was only when they decided to branch out and start selling that coffee experience in the coffee houses that they really saw the exponential growth. Now, they may not have topped out yet in the espresso machine business in the 1970s, but they were going to get there. And so, I mean, the growth curve was just absolutely insane from Starbucks once they pivoted.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a perfect example of your vision maybe being bigger than what your initial business is. So I think niches are a great way to get going and kind of get some traction, some kind of business off the ground. Facebook focused on just colleges. They worked out a lot of kinks. They... Worked on a lot of the rough edges of the platform. They saw a lot of the bugs kind of in this little bit of a safer environment with college kids, earlier adopters. But Zuckerberg's vision slowly became a lot bigger and he needed to move outside of that eventually to kind of fuel the vision he's fed his team. So I think that there are people that always plan on leaving their niche and don't struggle with it as much.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say, I think that's a great lead into our next kind of example too, which is a shift of the market or a future shift of the market. Zuckerberg, being as smart as he is, I have to imagine that he saw kind of this, this massive shift that was about to occur in the market. I don't know, maybe not, but I would assume so. And so he made that decision to really, as you mentioned, kind of jump away specifically from colleges and create this multinational business billion user
0: yeah communication so, platform so the idea here what we're saying is okay you you're in a market now or you're offering a product or service right now and you definitely see it not being the same viable market 10 years from now maybe a little bit more of a baseline example would be like say you uh, had a typewriter company in like the 70s and 80s And you were able to see maybe the future, you know, becoming more word processing and computers, you might want to adjust your company vision if you really think that it's going that direction. I'm not sure how successful you would have been back in those days, like doubling down on typewriters and staying in your niche. And even with typewriters have a great example of trying to you know, look beyond your niche and your current niche with your company vision, you know, if they had thought more about, hey, we're a way for people to get ideas from their head onto paper, and they they made their a company trying to do that as opposed to, hey, we make the typewriters, then your company is better positioned long term. And I think this is a really tough struggle for a lot of business owners or department heads or people that are looking to set vision, like how do you have? A big broad enough vision that's inspiring, but also like have it apply to a niche you can actually service and be successful with. But I think what we're saying is if there's some big obvious huge shift coming, think about getting outside of that niche before it's too late.
1: Yeah, don't be left behind.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's say you have found yourself in a pretty reliable niche. Not much is changing. You feel like your customer base is doing well and now you're getting all this feedback from your customers. And I think that's another thing that can really pull you out of your niche is listening to customers and thinking about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we're a great example of that. We face that on a daily basis where our customers are asking us, you know, do you have reporting features or do you have this feature? And we have to constantly make that balance between like, does this still fit our idea of a budget management platform or do we need to not necessarily pivot, but consider broadening outside of our our niche. And when, you know, I'll let John talk about the history of really how shape came to be, because I think that's a great example of us expanding. And then I think we can kind of flow back into how we made that decision and what we needed from our customers to actually be able to make that jump and feel comfortable about it.
0: Yeah. So we weren't always shape. For a while, our, our name was Steady Budget because we were really focused on solving budgeting problems for our customers. And that's an example of us trying to really hone in on a niche to get off the ground. The great thing about niches are they give you a lot clearer marketing stories. They give you a lot clearer sales stories when you're getting down that pipeline. So we wanted to tell us really like clean story around budgeting. So we even put it in the name. Fast forward two years later, We've built some more features, they all don't necessarily focus on budgeting, and yet when people think about our tool, it's like just plain budgeting tool. And that's why we made the move to Shape, is because it it was a little bit more all-encompassing, a little bit more broad. And that was really because we were pushed to build those new features by our customers. Like, they were asking us to be a little bit more than just a pure budget management platform. In some cases, they wanted collaboration features to be able to invite teammates, leave notes, some of these things. And we got pulled out of our niche core focus a little bit in that case. And honestly, we saw conversion rates drop on the website a little bit because now with Shape, we had a little bit more of a broader story. It's like, hey, we're digital marketing platform. And people weren't as clear about what we do right away. Since then, we obviously kept the name, but adjusted to that copy to talk about you know, budgeting. And because that's still a lot of the core of what our customers do. But we have built things that our customers have asked us to build and that the market seems kind of pulling us. And we have some ways though, that we think about that when we're taking that feedback. We just don't hear it from one person, say like, go right to the developers and say, hey, we need to build this right tomorrow.
1: No, I, I don't think you can. I think one of the things that you hear about in product management a lot is how you have to uncover the need behind the ask for customers. Because if you take them at their word, you're going to develop, a, not always, but you're typically going to develop something that's clunky and doesn't actually address the need. It's kind of like, you know, the a peripheral or not peripheral, but like a kind of a top-level cure for the symptom. I don't know. I know I'm yeah. just wandering. But so just to kind of refocus back, but one of the things that we do is we make sure that we have, you know, 5 to 10x of those asks before we really sit down and scope out the product feature that we want to expand, especially if it's something that is very outside of our niche of so or like, the focus of budgeting.
0: So like 5, 10x, we, we define that as, okay, if if only 10% of the people that tell us they're going to use this new feature use it, it's still worth it for us to build. Mm-hmm. You know, We don't look at it like, oh, 30% of our customer base um, you know, is really requesting this one thing. We should definitely build that. Because what we've found is that product adoption is never 100%. It's always some version of We kind of use it now, or we love it now. It's our newest feature. We're like, yeah, it's good, but I kind of wish it did this. So, not everybody's going to use it every day. And in order to get it on your roadmap and to put your development team on it, or You know, to put your team's energy into building whatever product or service you do, you've got to make sure like a considerable amount of your current customers are going to be using this new thing, unless you probably should be putting your time on what got them there in the first place.
1: Yeah. And then you have to harass them, not harass them, but you have to remind them over and over again that that feature exists. Mm. It's funny, even with some of our current customers, we announce something, they're super excited. And then like two, three months later, they're like, wait, does it do this again? Yes. Yes, it does. Great question. Let me show you this fancy feature over here.
0: Yeah. And we've kind of touched on this in other episodes too. Like you're just one part of somebody's day, you know, you, you launching this new feature, working on the blog post of it. You've spent two, three, four weeks on getting it together, making sure every word's dialed, your art looks great. Everything's on there. It's just one more blog post. Somebody's reading that day. And Everybody, you know, uses software if the You don't see some kind of like cool new feature announced, and then like, oh, you know what? My calendar is just wide open for the next three hours to so just really dig in there and and learn everything about this new feature. No, it's more like, all right, let me bookmark that. I'm gonna go remind. We'll go back later. I gotta dig in to find to figure out what it does. It's like you're gonna have to continue to also earn people using whatever new things you build that kind of go outside of that niche because you're they're not going to immediately associate you with this new feature this new thing that hasn't been what you've been doing all along so you've got to be careful because that takes even more effort on marketing than using the momentum you already have doing something new can take a lot of resources because you're trying to figure it out for the first time Mm -hmm. but that can also be a reason to go outside your niche, you know, trying new stuff because one of the other reasons we have here to kind of like explore a new niche is to present new challenges to your team. And if you're doing the same thing every day, I was just thinking of an example, like say you're a bakery and all you make is there's one kind of bagel, you know, an extreme example, it might be tough to hang on to the best employees if you're not giving them a little freedom to experiment with something else, at least a different type of bagel. You know, you can be a little bit too militant, I think, on staying within your niche sometimes. That the, you know, harm to not letting your employees or your team kind of explore a little bit more what might be out there.
1: Yeah. Not only does that kind of reinvigorate your team members, give them new tasks and responsibilities, but I think it, also reinvigorates your customer base a little bit. I think that's something that I know this is mostly focusing on the the team member side, but you know, like you said, if if you just get that one type of bagel, maybe they do it really, really well for ever and ever. But, you know, try a little variation and who knows, you might attract a new new audience you weren't kind of expecting.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the really good reasons to like continue to kind of push and experiment a little bit because if you aren't experimenting or at least trying some of these other things you you're never going to get that upside you know you you're always going to be kind of back to our initial point sort of limited in your box and, and where you're at right now and I think definitely in tech walking that line of being really militant with your product or your app or whatever it is and keeping it really simple while also giving your developers, engineering team, and your current team enough interesting stuff to chew on is a really hard balance. You know, Google always had kind of the 80-20 rule, which is a little bit of their cop-out way of, of doing it, sort of like, okay, 20% of your day, you can just kind of like work on whatever you want. But I've always been more interested in how do we kind of integrate into the core mission of the company into like 100% of your day, and how do you kind of balance those things how do you get them to align and if you're so tied into your niche you're not even willing to explore then you might lose some people along the way but it might be what you have to do for the good of the overall company and the whole so it's tough to tough to say what to do in all those scenarios unless you're the one presented with it and all the information So like motivation could could be one reason to move into a different niche, kind of giving your team something new to work on. But your hand might be a little bit more forced to to go outside of your niche. You might not have the luxury of exploring a niche. You might have a real necessity to explore a new way of making money or new revenue streams. One example I thought of with this specific was a buddy of mine works for a, a company that has a popsicle that location. So they sell, they're called Steel City Pops. They've got all these really fancy popsicles. They sell through all the summertime in the Southeast, Alabama, Texas. It's really hot and their sales are killing it in summertime. My buddy's the accountant. So he's really into the books. He knows. And then wintertime sales kind of slowed, but in wintertime, you still have to pay rent so they really knew how to make popsicle wells but they were kind of forced to diversify a little bit of their menu items work in some hot chocolate do some popsicles that are a little bit more traditional like winter flavors that as opposed to summer flavors like pumpkin pie type stuff and and those sort of things to try to draw people there during the winter now it's like New challenges for their employees, new menu items to add, new variables, which is always, you know, risk like we're talking about. But I think it can be a necessity sometime.
1: And it sounds like in this case it's paid off for them.
0: Yeah, it's flattened out their revenues a little bit, made it more consistent. I think sometimes staying too small in your, your niche, you're just, it can be risky and you need to diversify. You know, just say like it says, a, a healthy you know portfolio or retirement savings is diversified over a few things. I think the same thing can apply to your business. You know, I think you can really hone in on a niche, and I think a lot of companies have have made great gains on exploiting a niche and mining a niche for everything that it's worth. But if something does happen to that niche, there's a lot of examples where companies go under. In our industry specifically, think if maybe all you did was focus on, say, Facebook ads or, or LinkedIn ads, and there's a lot of companies out there that do. If there is some fundamental change that affects that platform that for some reason puts it in jeopardy, I don't see any out there. But you haven't built the skill set over the years to, like, adapt to that new channel. But I think taking that calculated risk does benefit the people that stay in the niche.
1: Absolutely. And I think if, as long as you remain diligent, if you you know you remain able to pivot really quickly in that case, because like you said, there are a lot of successful companies that do just Facebook or just LinkedIn advertising. So that, but that again, that kind of speaks to your niche as your career or you know being an expert in your field. The great thing is I think marketers have a great skill set that apply across the board. So it's it's not necessarily as painful to pick up a new marketing area as it is to, I don't know switch from you know anesthesiology right. to uh <laughs> neuro you know yeah an advanced you, medical
0: yeah i think if you're if you're have an advanced medical degree You've you've chosen your niche years ago, yeah, and you're in it
1: all <laughs> twenty years of schooling or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, but I think in terms of making pivots, that kind of hits on our last point here and what we talked about. We, me and you, have ta- talked about two like legendary pivots when we kind of talked about this one, but it's the example of you're in your niche, you're looking around, and you just realize the competition—it's better, stronger, faster building better products than you can, their customers are happier than your customers. And you just kind of see the writing on the wall. That's another time when, okay, let's explore a new niche. And, and that can be a, a scary position to be in. But I think there are a couple of examples of people that have stared down that abyss and, and come out the other side.
1: Absolutely, I think you've got two great examples. If you want to yeah, so, jump into those, uh,
0: one the story I've always been obsessed with, and you've heard me tell like, uh, who knows how many times, is how Twitter got founded, because I find it fascinating, interesting to tie into with podcasts. So Ev Williams, legendary tech founder, he basically, as far as I know, he might have invented the word blog if I remember off the top, but he founded Blogger back in the 90s, sold it to Google for a bunch of money. He worked for Google for a year or two. Then he used that money to kind of found a company that was working on kind of a podcast technology for networks back in 03, 04, 05, 06. It's interesting that time period because it was really before the mobile phone. <laughs> like smartphones were able to play podcast. So they... One, it through 04, 05 had a lot of trouble getting traction because the the market wasn't there yet with the smartphone. Then in 07, Apple announces their iPhone and that they're gonna you know have podcast app on there on iTunes. And Ev Williams thinks, all right, we're done. You know, Apple's entered the space. They're just bigger, stronger, faster. He looks at his books. He's got a few million dollars left of his venture capital that he had raised. And he looks around his team and he's like, "Hey, anybody that wants to keep showing up to work, split off into teams and just start coming up with ideas." So there's like a bunch of groups of teams just kind of split off. Some people are like, "All right, I think I'll move on to the next company." Like, have fun, guys, just tooling around. And after a couple of weeks, Ev Williams goes around to the teams and's like, "All right, what are you guys working on?" So he goes over to one team and they're like, oh, "We." We've got this code that Jack um, has been working on one of the guys in the group for years and it just it lets you through uh, SMS and text message kind of send an update to a bunch of people and and post it up on a, a URL and they're like okay that sounds interesting so why don't you guys build it out so they take another couple of weeks they build it out and they present it again and I was like all right let me see how it works and Shows them, sends a text, and I just, okay, what's what's the name? What do you think calling it? They're saying, we're thinking about Twitter. And so they put it around. People are kind of updating where they're going to lunch. They're going to the park. It seems a little silly, but then they start to see a little bit more of the implications that it's essentially the microblog. Ev built the technology that uh, enabled web blogs across the internet. This is essentially that, but on a smaller scale, and the light bulb goes off. And then the whole team begins working on building out Twitter, and it becomes one of the most you know quintessential tech companies of this decade. And it all came out of the fact that people, they looked around their company, they looked at the niche they were trying to serve, they had no chance, so they just completely jumped outside of it and tried something new and used the skills that they built so that's should give some people at least some hope if you feel like you're sitting in your niche and you're standing you're like i'm just either it could be a profitable niche but i can't compete i just something is keeping me from being able to really enter that market try something completely new if you do have a team around you try to be honest about the situation you're in and galvanize the team to come up with ideas around you because who knows what might be just sitting there for the rest of the team to kind of move on and, and work with that's better than what you're working on today
1: absolutely and that kind of leads into our, our next example which I'll, I'll try to keep pretty short here but slack essentially then if you know the history they started off as a an online game basically it was called glitch and from the way that john's told me this story I did not do the extensive research here. <laughs> they were running out of cash. Essentially, they had you know a, a period of runway, and then they were going to go out of business. And so they looked internally and they said, "What do we want to do?" And as part of that kind of platform, they had really learned how to kind of gamify some boringish processes. But also, they built a communication platform that they felt like they could invest more time in. And, and you know, kind of if you know anything about Slack, or you use Slack, it's just become this crazy popular behemoth of a communication platform for enterprises, for businesses. I think my husband even uses it for some networking group. I mean, it's it's applied to so much. I could see, you know, being a soccer mom and having a Slack channel for that, there's, you have know, like 15 Slack channels that you're running at any time. So it's, it's really broadened its niche to the point where it was completely different than the gaming area. And look what it's done.
0: Yeah, another great example of pivot. And then Slack is interesting too, even thinking about niche because they, are like the ultimate broad product they, you know, every company, essentially that uses email, you could make an argument, could use slack also to eliminate some of that email. So I think that that's like the ultimate broad play. But when slack got started, they didn't tell that broad story right away. They didn't they didn't try to market to every company in the US saying you should try this, they went to like, early adopting tech companies, very like how this could help your tech company, here's our API. You know, they kind of leaned into techies, at least that niche to start, built out a lot of the initial tech, same as Facebook did starting with colleges, built out the tech, worked out the kinks in their niche. And then as Slack grew and grew, raised more VC, and they could afford to tell more of a, a broader marketing story, they moved out of that niche.
1: So that really kind of encompasses the, you know, the six or seven points we feel like you can make that expansion out of a niche now the one thing that we will say is that you really have to prove it to yourself. You cannot make these decisions without data, without, you know, communicating with your team, especially if you're a small startup. You know, you can't just jump feet first into it without really thinking through that decision.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think the hardest person to convince to leave your niche if you're the decision maker in the scenario is probably going to be yourself. You know, there's a reason you're in the niche. And that's why look for the data. Like you said, talk to your team, get feedback, really prove it to yourself and and get everybody on board that this is something you should be doing and taking on.
1: Absolutely. So I think that's a good takeaway to leave it with, you know, we hope you'll let us know Yeah. if you disagree with us (laughs) or if there's a takeaway from this episode that you'll use to kind of guide your conversations, shape them throughout the week. Let us know on via email. Social platforms, uh, or you know, all of that's listed at blog.shape.io slash podcast. So find, find all those all links, links there.
0: And we are on Spotify now. Woohoo! Yeah, we got thanks to Transistor FM, our podcast hosting provider, got us in their beta to get the podcast up on Spotify. And we have gotten our first reviews on iTunes. Shout
1: out to our two reviewers. Thanks, guys.
0: I don't know who you are, Queso Bob or. What a potaholic, but thank you for the the kind words and the reviews. So we can no longer say you could be the first review up there, but who's going to be the third?
1: (laughs) Aside from that too, John's got a really interesting episode coming up. I'm going to step out of that one, but you want to tell him a little bit about what's coming?
0: Yep. Next episode, we'll be talking to Michael Mack. He is the Mm co-founder of the garden fresh group if you've spent time in california he was founder of the sweet tomatoes restaurant chain or helped grow it from two to 135 franchises over a couple states he's got a really interesting story that i've heard him give some talks around town and i think he'll have a lot of great stuff for people to dig into and so look for that next week
1: sounds awesome thanks so much for listening guys and uh We'll talk to you next week.
0: Over and out. Ben Dorgan.